Welcome to Routes and Revenue, a podcast that analyzes business plays from the gridiron. I'm your host, Jackson Curtis, and I'm excited to break down a few sports business topics. Today I'll be talking about two things, NFL player incentives for the playoffs and the money behind the college football coaching carousel. As you know, the NFL is a business based on results. It's really simple. (laughs) You don't play well and you're benched for someone better or you're cut from the team. If you are good enough, you make the roster and then you get an NFL salary. With the NFL playoffs now in full swing, these games obviously have a lot more at stake, but these players have an opportunity to earn even more money on top of the income they're already getting. I chose a few quarterbacks, so let's dive into that right now. First one up, Jordan Love, quarterback of the Green Bay Packers. You know, as a Utah State alum, I'm a big fan and I really hope he continues to do well. I know some of his former teammates, and they, of course, had nothing but good things to say about him. In May, he received a one-year extension of $22.5 million, but 13.5 of that was guaranteed money. Now, why was it only a one-year extension? Drafted rookie contracts are four years in length, and by the end of year three, you can start negotiating for your next contract. And as we all know, Jordan Love, he sat on the bench, and he learned behind Aaron Rodgers. His first three years, he didn't get a lot of consistent playing time and couldn't really truly prove himself to the organization. But I really do think it's safe to say that him sitting out and learning was the best thing that could have happened. And these NFL franchises that are kind of struggling can really learn from the Packers because now Jordan Love is proving that that system works. This season as a starter, Jordan Love threw 32 touchdowns, which was the seventh best in the league, 11 picks, and over 4,000 yards. Now for Love's playoff incentives, Jordan received $500,000 for just reaching the playoffs. So when the Packers finished at 9-8, and eight, he got that bonus. As you saw, the Packers just played the Cowboys. You saw the win, and with that, Jordan Love earned an additional five hundred grand. So in total, right now, he has earned $1 million in playoff bonus money. And you saw with the results, he had a near-perfect QBR. Now, if Jordan Love beats the 49ers, what do you think he gets? Yep, you guessed it, another 500 grand. It's really cool to see all this unfold. Obviously, it's great for Jordan Love as he continues to play really well in the playoffs. He can earn some extra money. But it's safe to say the Packers have definitely found their franchise quarterback. Now, let's go to the Bay where Brock Purdy is the quarterback for the San Francisco 49ers. In terms of salary, he's in a much different situation. As you know, he was the last pick in the 2022 NFL Draft. And per the NFL CBA, or another term for the Collective Bargaining Agreement, rookie contracts for a drafted rookie in the NFL can't be renegotiated, amended, or altered in any way. So when can Purdy actually renegotiate his basic deal? Well, not until January 2025. In other words, the 49ers are now driving a Toyota Corolla but getting the performance of a BMW. So currently, Brock Purdy earns $870,000 for his base salary. You can say what you want about San Francisco, but after taxes, that is not a lot of money compared to other quarterbacks in the league. As for his incentives, Purdy will receive an additional $174,000 if he beats the Packers. That's not even half of what Jordan Love will earn if he wins. The next quarterback up is Baker Mayfield with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Everyone has their opinion of Baker, but if you look at where he's gone, 
He's proven himself, and he is a good quarterback. Right now, he's on a one-year salary of $4 million. For the playoffs, as long as he takes 75% of the snaps, which he likely will, he'll earn two hundred and fifty dollars per playoff win. It really is crazy when you look at it, because the Bucks are in kind of a weaker conference, and they're not a spectacular team. But after a convincing win against the Eagles, Tampa Bay should really want to keep Baker around for next season. We'll see if he can win against Detroit. The last quarterback I want to talk about is Josh Allen with the Buffalo Bills. He has an annual salary of $43 million. While this season kind of started off rocky, the Bills finished the season really strong. Like I mentioned, I attended Utah State, and I remember watching him play when he was on Wyoming. He is a freak athlete, and there's a reason why he got drafted so high. For Allen's playoff incentives, he'll earn an additional $1 million if the Bills win the AFC Championship game and he takes 60% of the offensive snaps. Now, if Allen wins a Super Bowl for Buffalo, that's $2.5 million as well. So those are two really good incentives for one of the great quarterbacks in the league right now. All right, let's get to the Q&A section. I want to say thanks again for everyone that submitted their questions so far. The one I'm picking today is Kyle from Dallas, Texas. His question was, how do you see the NIL landscape in a few years? Now, this is a loaded question, so let's dive right in. During the NCAA's Division I Council annual meeting on January 10th, everyone agreed on a new proposal for the protection of student-athletes in NIL. As for now, these four changes will be effective starting August 1st, 2024. Number one, voluntary registration process for NIL service providers. That means agents, financial advisors, etc. I just think it's kind of funny they said voluntary. Like, how are you going to ensure that the bad players in NIL stay out of it. Number two, mandatory disclosure of NIL agreements. Now student-athletes are required to disclose information regarding any NIL agreement exceeding $600 in value to their school. Number three, collaboration for template NIL contracts. The NCAA plans to work with more schools to develop a template NIL contract with recommended contract terms. Number four, Continuous Education and Resources The NCAA will formulate a comprehensive plan to offer more education and resources to student-athletes. Now, when I think of number four, I think, okay, well, the schools are already trying their best to come up with more education and resources for their student-athletes. They've been doing that. They've hired other third-party providers. They're doing everything they can to make sure their athletes are successful in NIL. So when you think about this, schools are already on top of it, so I wonder what else the NCAA can do that the schools aren't already offering. If you can tell from those four changes that are coming, you can see that the NIL industry is constantly changing. It is super dynamic. So what I might say right now in this podcast may not mean a whole lot in one month from now. You never know what's going to be happening in this landscape, and it's why it has so many headlines, and it is so interesting for fans of college athletics and those that are involved inside of the industry. Yesterday, there was actually a U.S. House subcommittee hearing on the NIL landscape. New legislation was offered by Congressman Gus Bilirakis from Florida. His goal is to file a new bill as soon as possible to, in his words, save college sports. His draft would stop athletes from becoming employees 
and create a form of antitrust protection. He also went on to say that his draft would help put together an independent, non-governmental, self-regulating group that would look over NIL activities. This received major pushback from both current student-athletes and the NCAA president himself. As you can tell, it's really hard to get people to agree on ways to improve the NIL industry. There are pros and cons student-athletes becoming employees. For example, if a student-athlete becomes an employee for that university, they will end up signing an employment contract. How detailed are these contracts? How will scholarships work? On the other side, if they do become employees, it would kind of get rid of the transfer portal because they would be bound by their contracts and they wouldn't be able just to leave whenever. So I think there's a lot of things happening in the NIL industry that are good, but there's still a lot of things to work out. All right, with the college football coaching carousel, a lot has been happening. Ever since Nick Saban has retired from the University of Alabama, the college football world has kind of been turned upside down and there's been some serious movement. Let's first start with Kalen DeBoer, the former coach of the University of Washington. After two successful seasons with the Huskies, he signed a major extension through the 2028 season. Everything seemed fine, and his salary at the time was $4.2 million, which totaled $26.7 million. As you know, the college football coaching world moves really fast, and just recently, Kalen DeBoer accepted the head coaching job at Alabama. As he said, I would not have left Washington for just any school. The chance to lead the football program at the University of Alabama is the opportunity of a lifetime. It's hard to argue with that statement. Now becoming the head coach after Nick Saban, arguably the greatest college football coach ever, that's not going to be easy. And everyone knows that recruiting in the SEC is a different beast. However, I am rooting for him and I hope he does really well. Contract details have yet to be finalized, but reports are saying it's in the ballpark of at least $10 million per year. How does that compare to his salary from before? Well, let's just say it's a little more than double his past salary with the Huskies. Now, what about Kalen DeBoer's salary in Washington? What's his buyout? Well, the University of Alabama is going to owe $12 million to Washington. So if you put those two together, it's a big investment for the Crimson Tide, but they're moving forward with their new coach. Now, who else does this impact? This impacts a coach by the name of Jed Fish, who accepted the job at Washington since DeBoer left. He was the head coach at the University of Arizona, and like all coaches, he said he would stay. But if you follow college football, you know that money talks. Fish was on a five-year deal worth $18.3 million with the Wildcats. He was set to earn $3.5 million per year. Now, when he left for the University of Washington, he signed a seven-year deal worth $7.5 million per year, over $50 million total. Fish is also eligible for $1.5 million in bonuses annually. Obviously, it's a no-brainer because you get to coach in the Big Ten and make more money, but what about his buyout? Washington is going to cover the $5.5 million buyout. Brett Brennan is another coach that we need to talk about. The former San Jose State coach is now the head coach at the University of Arizona, replacing Jed Fish. He was making $2.3 million as the head coach at San Jose State. That was in his seventh year of coaching there. His new contract will pay him $17.5 million over five years, which is less than what Jed Fish was getting. His base salary is $2.2 million, 
And that increases $200,000 per year to $3 million in 2028. Let's also not forget that Arizona is covering the $1 million buyout of Brett Brennan, but the $5.5 million that Arizona is receiving from Washington covers that cost. So everything kind of works together. And believe it or not, when you look at Brett Brennan's coaching record, he actually has an under 500 coaching record and is 0-3 in bowl games. But at the end of the day, all three head coaches made the best decisions for themselves and are now coaching in better conferences. Kalen DeBoer, Pac-12 to the SEC. Jet Fish, Pac-12 to the Big Ten. Brett Brennan, Mountain West to the Big 12. Now there were a few other coaches that were affected by all this movement going on with the coaching carousel. Mike Norvell from Florida State and Steve Sarkeesian from Texas. I do want to point out that these two coaches, along with Kalen DeBoer, Nick Saban, and several other top coaches are all represented by the same agent. His name is Jimmy Sexton. So when a lot of this was happening, there was a lot of rumors and a lot of speculation that some current head coaches could replace Saban at Alabama. Mike Norvell at Florida State was originally making a little over $8 million per year. That contract was signed in February of 2023. Now, let's just say a lot has happened since then. Florida State went 13-1, and and they took home the ACC title. With that speculation and everything going down, he was able to get a restructured contract, making him now more than $10 million per year over eight years. Florida State didn't even make the playoff, but that's a conversation for another day. Steve Sarkeesian at Texas was originally making over $6 million per year, and that contract was signed back in 2021. But also with speculation and leverage from Jimmy Sexton, he now has a new four-year contract extension that will put him closer to $10 million per year. Things like this are really interesting to me. Both of these coaches were successful at their respective schools, but because they shared the same agent as Nick Saban, and Nick Saban happened to retire this year, things got even better for them. It just goes to show that aligning yourself with a good agent can go a long way for your career. Well, that is going to wrap up the first episode of Routes and Revenue. Remember, we're a podcast that analyzes the business plays from the gridiron. I'm your host, Jackson Curtis. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you guys next Friday.